You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson Lees. Sam Arnold joins the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast to share her unique journey as an elite athlete. Cricket, amongst other sports, has been a cornerstone of Sam's life, and this summer she was a part of the Sydney Thunder team to claim the WBBL title. Sam balances her love for sport with her passion for helping others, and in today's conversation, we hear her reflections on life, learning, and personal growth. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Sam, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Sam, you represented Australia in indoor cricket, Oztag, and you were selected for the national futsal team. What did it mean to represent your country at a number of World Cups and World Championships? Oh, it was so exciting. It was, so that was all in the um, junior years growing up. So my first representation was for Oztag, and that just started through, you know, State Cup and then making the Tigers team, which was like a more of a district one and then you go into your national tournament and I just remember dad calling me and saying oh look at the website and I was like what's it on the website hopped on and then yeah I was in the Australian team and I was only 14 um, in, in the under 16s so that was just a bit of a an honest shock because I was just playing I was tagged just for the fun of it and um, doing a fan of those girls sides so then one was this team and then kind of kept going from there and didn't even know there's a possibility of an Australian team didn't know there were selectors walking around and then yeah to see my name up on the list it was very exciting, and it's a lot of come. A lot has come from it. So we've got, um, you know, lots of travel and girlfriends, and you know, guys that you meet and things along the way. So it's yeah, beautiful. Do you think that was important, not having expectations that you could go out there and play with freedom and play with fun, without worrying about future selection and future opportunities? Definitely, yeah. So especially and well, actually in any age, like growing up. So like I said, I was only fourteen playing a little bit higher than my age group. And, yeah, I had no pressure on me because it was one of my first tournaments anyway. Um, and I could just play the game and, like I said, just playing for the love of it. So playing, you know, obviously you've got the competition and you're trying to win and things, but you're not looking around to go, oh, they're watching my game now. Like, I've got to do something which takes you away from the team's game. So we might be having a play going on, but if you think that the selector's there, you try to do something a bit too fancy, you know, and it can kind of stuff up the whole rhythm. So, yeah, probably in hindsight, I'm really glad that I didn't know. But it also made me even more excited for the opportunity when I did find out because it was so, such a blind side. So. And of those teams, which one was a standout in terms of the experience? Which one did you enjoy the most? I have had, like I said, a lot of experience with um, the teams across there. But I think indoor cricket has been really rewarding for me. So I've got a lot of you know, lifelong friends across the country and that's been developed through the Australian tours and teams um, that I've made. So... Been able to travel to a lot of countries with my sport. Um, with indoor cricket, I've been to Dubai and Sri Lanka. And like I said, you just you meet friends and teammates that are now lifelong. Like they'll be like at my wedding or during like you'll travel down and hopefully do a, once you're allowed to travel, go on another trip around with them. But yeah, obviously any team that I'm representing um, and especially at a higher level is going to be really rewarding and a big impact. But I think I made really deep connections with the indoor cricket girls and teams and that experience. Travelling to places like Sri Lanka, it's 
it's like a religion. Cricket broadly as a sport is like a religion. You know, they're playing in the streets, they're playing in any open area. What did you learn, I guess, going to different cultures and different areas about cricket, but also about life? So yeah, like I said, when you travel, you learn about life and things along the way. So um, when I went to Sri Lanka, it was like they live and breathe cricket, just like India as well, which I've been able to go to too. Just it's a bit of a different skill set, obviously, because they've got you know the different grounds and things. But with indoor cricket, it is still on you know the carpet and things like that. But in Sri Lanka, it was extremely hot. Like you had to have your second set of clothes ready so you could get changed type of thing. They didn't have aircon or anything in there. They didn't Dubai, thankfully. Thankfully, they had maybe the one fan <laughs> that we could use. But with the Sri Lankan girls, it was a tour, just us and Sri Lanka. And they were more learning the indoor game. So indoor cricket and outdoor cricket is different skill sets in the sense of um, you're playing the ball differently or you're bowling to different areas and fielding wise, it's more flicking and reflex. Whereas obviously in the field, you've got time to run around and things. So taking that experience from Sri Lanka was Although they may have been at a different standard to the Australian indoor team in regards to indoor cricket, you could still see all of their natural cricket ability. Like um, by the end, you know, time the games were getting much tighter, and um, they were just getting direct throws from nowhere. Like as in normally in indoor, it's about the quick release, so it's cutting down that like split second time. So you're picking up and flicking it to hit a stump, whereas they'd do the big wind up. But every time would nail stumps. Like you'd be like, you don't want to burst them outside because they'll run you out. So yeah, that was a great experience in Sri Lanka. And then in Dubai, I was first time going. I think that's my first overseas trip, actually, the one to to Dubai. And that was really exciting because Dubai is just a, a fascinating place. Like you go to the desert, and we did a really cool tour there. And then you go to the Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest building in the world, and it's yeah, insane experience. It was really cool. And donning the green and gold kit across a number of sports, what expectations did you have for yourself? So with the teams, it was even similar with indoor cricket when I first made that team. It wasn't necessarily an objective of mine to go into the national tournament and make the Aussie team. We were quite new. The group of girls who started New South Wales, started, sorry, playing indoor New South Wales cricket when I did, um, were new to the indoor game. So we didn't actually really understand the Aussie team and things like that, tours that came with it. But once you did make it, like it was obviously so exciting. And when you finally get your jersey and your kit, like it's, it, it doesn't matter what, if it's underage, what type of sport it is, you're still representing your country. And, you know, I, I love Australia and I feel that's really even developed based off the teams I've made. So, um, yeah, it's, we always obviously get talks about it when you're with your teams and your coaches and things. And one of the coaches from indoor cricket, Crossy, she represented indoor cricket um, in Australia for a few years. And she's not really a soft character in the sense of she's not going to come up and give you a cuddle or cry or anything. But she would always have this really special moment before we'd start a tournament. She'd talk about, you know, the jersey and green and gold and what it meant to her. And she'd have a, a flag that she had signed by her first World Cup that, you know, we'd all kind of hold and it's, even growing up, so at 14, 15, 16, and having, you know, that kind of repeated to me at major tournaments, it really made you realise, wow, this is actually a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not something that you expect, that, oh, I'm in the team, so I'll make it next time. It's it's your, it's an honour and a privilege to be where you are, so take it as you have it now and play with it because you are representing your country. It doesn't matter if it's underage or opens. And that love and enjoyment that has been throughout your sporting career from day dot, 
Where do you think that first started? Where did you uncover the love for sport? Mum likes to say that we got um, our sporting genes from her, but I do think it came from Dad. So Dad was uh, quite a good footy player, from what I've heard. And yeah, I think we've just kind of started sport growing up. So I did do dancing for a year with my sister. I think I was four or five. Um, I don't think I was the most majestic dancer at all. That's why I only did it for the one year. But the next time, uh, next year after that, we did soccer, um, you know, and then eventually we did cricket and then Oztag and things like that. So um, that's just kept us really involved in sport, which we've all loved and have really found. I think sport is so big because it can actually develop you as a person. And um, even now working at schools and talking to younger kids, I, I say that to them as in sport is really good opportunity to develop, you know, your teamwork, your cooperation, how you talk to people. That's why I think sport's actually so amazing because it's so much broader than just the game. You, you know, develop the individual, even though it's a team sport, you grow as that person, even in the game, let alone a season and let alone a few years of sport. So. And you grew up in Emu Plains at the foot of the Blue Mountains. What was your childhood like? Um, so we would play on, you know, the road and things like that. Um, we have a, a neighbour, though, who didn't really like us playing that because our ball would get onto their lawn a lot so but yeah I'd say like we we do the backyard cricket and things like that uh, swimming in the pool my brother was quite is close quite close to age um, to me so a year and a half apart and growing up we would do a lot of the sport together so with the girls cricket you can play a little bit younger I'm not too sure how it worked with Oztag maybe we played in the older age group but yeah growing up with like that 8 to 12 kind of bracket I was always playing, you know, with him and the other boys in the same sport. And my older sister, um, you know, she plays soccer all the way through and things like that. So, yeah, well, a busy bunch at home. How important do you think it is for any kid growing up just to have that freedom, that chance to go outdoors, to learn, to fall over, to fail, but to be able to pick themselves up? I think it's so important, especially now when technology and, you know, iPhones, iPads are so prominent and expected in every household. Even at school recently, we were trying to teach kids like coordination with like hand clapping games. So even not that I'm like that old, but when I was younger as well, that was something that would just be natural because you would just do it. Whereas now it's kind of more teaching the kids or introducing them to it because it is so easy just to be put in front of the TV or playing with the iPad. Because although they are really stimulating and exciting, you're still going to be able to go outside and you know, try and climb a tree or jump to catch that ball and, you know, scrape your arm. Like, I think it's really important to be out and about. You know, we've got such a nice country. Why not be out and enjoy the trees and everything like that? And you first played cricket uh, under eights with the Emu Plains Cricket Club. Mm-hmm. What was your first cricketing experience like? Uh, so we actually played at Regatta Park, which is opposite uh, the Peen River. I remember the first game quite distinctly because um, in the junior cricket, I think it's quite similar now, there's only eight in the team. And then you, like, um, a pair will bat for four overs and you, bat, you bowl two overs. Everyone bowls and things like that. Um, we rocked up. So it was me and my brother, um, a family friend of ours, Ben, and then another kid named Ben as well. And there was only four of us. So <laughs> Dad's like, okay, first time playing cricket. Like I said, Dad's got a football, like a footy background. Doesn't really know much about cricket. But we rocked up and there's only four of us. And the other team had, like, eight or ten. So we're like, okay, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, we loved it because we got, you know, double goal of everything. We got eight overs to bat, we got four overs to bowl, and we um we actually won quite convincingly. So <laughs> it was good. But even like every time I go home, I drive past. That's how, you know, I get back to go home. And yeah, it's, it was always the favourite place to play because um, I think it was the first time we went there. You know, we went experienced cricket and we 
we did pretty well. So, yeah. And how did you go balancing playing with a lot of other boys? We've spoken with Lisa Griffith, Michaela Hinckley, Hannah Darlington on the podcast, and they spoke about, I guess there was a sense of challenge, but also opportunity that, that came playing with other boys at that age. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, so it'll be similar to what um, the girls have felt as well. You're generally the only girl normally in the whole comp. Um, Michaela is a local girl as well. Sometimes our years would you know, correlate and she would be another girl in the comp, so it wouldn't just be myself. But I think it was good as in it would challenge you. I used to quite get a little bit, not frustrated, but the inner drive in me would get annoyed. Say if a bowler would normally bowl in pace and that ball spin to me. So then it would make me want to go a bit more aggressive at the ball because I'm like, I can compete with that, you know? So I think it, it was obviously good, you know, it's got me to where I am today. And girls these days are quite lucky where they have another girl or something to play with. But yeah, growing up with the boys, you know, it was always a fun laugh. They're always mucking around, doing something they shouldn't. So um, yeah, it was, you know, a good treat growing up. And even now seeing um, the kids I used to play with and, you know, now all of the older age and you see them and you're like, yeah, it's, it's good memories to look back on. So. And how much does it excite you? You look these days, as you said, there's record number of girls playing cricket. There's girls-only leagues all across the state, all across the country. How excited are you for that next generation of female cricketers coming through? Yeah, so excited. We even just at um, Penrith Cricket Club. A couple of years back, if you took me three or four years back and you came to a Wednesday at Howlover for grade training, there would be three first graders, you know, maybe a handful of... Brewers, which is the under-18s, um, whereas now you rock up and you're finding a place to put your kit. So it's really exciting. And even seeing the young talent coming through, the Molly Dad and Margaret Peters just started uh, not last week, the week before. And there's some little cricketers in there, you know, who are eight years old, representing under-13s, Penrith, and great cricketers. So, yeah, it's really exciting coming through and knowing that they have all, an access to lots of different things. Actually talking to someone at training last night, a couple of years ago, because I do have a smaller foot, they don't have, they didn't have female spikes, so I would have to wear, you know, a, a male men's spike, but it would be almost three sizes too big for me. So I'm wearing double socks and I'd take them at the end. Whereas now you can get, you know, the Asics female fitted shoe or, um, you know, custom bats that won't be, you know, a lighter pickup and things like that. So the girls coming through now will actually have cricket gear that's equipped for them. Um, specific to them and I think that does make a big difference so that way they can actually just develop their game with really good technique rather than having to adjust their technique to suit their equipment and then having to try and fix that later once they're a little bit older. And do you see yourself as a role model to that younger generation coming through? Are you trying to pass on key messages and key learnings? Yeah definitely at Penrith we, um, we find culture really important and we've embedded that throughout all the teams so we've got First grade, second grade, Brewer Shield, and then Margaret Peden and the Molly Dad, which are the um, underage ones. And, yeah, we say the whole way through, culture is really important at the club because people come to cricket to have fun and we want to be a team that's, you know, always playing like a sportsmanship way and things like that. And as a leader at the club, um, it would be a bit naive of me to say that girls don't look up to me. You know, I was once that age looking up at the girls older than me. So I do understand um, the role that I can have or even the slight influence on some of the younger girls, you know, just the way you carry yourself around training, you know, simple things like wearing a uniform the right way, things like that. But, um, yeah, Penrith Cricket, there's a lot of um, opportunity for the girls coming up. So I would hate to kind of hinder that in any light. So more than happy to, you know, try and help them with their 
the way they do cricket or the way they are about people. And if I can chuck my two cents in, then I'm happy to. And growing up, Sam, what role did school have on your upbringing? Yeah, school um, have, has always been quite important to me. Um, it's provided me a lot of uh, leadership opportunities. So, you know, being the leader like in year six and then um, all the way throughout high school as well, it almost correlates to me personally with sport. So I've always been playing the sport throughout my school journey and also holding my academics at a high standard too. So it's, it's balancing that, but then what you learn through, whether it's, you know, your public speaking or you interacting with people or your communication and group setting or teamwork, it's, it all kind of blends together. So even at uni as well, like you, you're meeting someone who you have no idea about them, yet you've got to do a 40% assignment on the, like, it kind of, it's, yeah, it's strange how sport can relate to the academics, but for me personally, it really has blended and not balanced out, but they've both contributed to each other in the sense of, I feel like I've become a better person or a better, you know, student with the other one in my hands, so. And those later years of high school, did you have specific career ambi- ambitions? Did you know the path that you wanted to take? If I'm honest, no, and I don't know if I still have it now. Yeah, I didn't really know what to do. I remember seeing the careers advisor and kind of asking, you know, the opinion. Um, but I just went straight into university, so University of Technology, and currently doing a Bachelor of Sports uh, Management. Yeah, like, I didn't really know what to do. I think there is such a broad range of options to do, but at the same time, if you've got your sport in hand, it's kind of balancing, okay, do I pull back now? Do I keep going on something, or do I take that more as my angle? So... Yeah, I was just more than happy to put my hand up for anything and I think that's why, you know, in the space of time since school I've been able to, I've travelled to 10 different countries and done all these different things because I've had that um, outlook of why not just give it a try. I mean, you don't know what's going to come from it and then I've been really fortunate enough that things have actually progressed through those stuff, so. You talk about the travel there, which I think is hugely important for anyone at any age if they're able to. What do you think was one key change that you've seen in yourself as a result of travelling the world? I think realising how fortunate we are in Australia. I think it's really important for, if you're in a position, to be able to go and travel. And you're Australian living quite well, to go and see other countries. It's just, you know, if you see, you go to a third world country and you, you see someone, they may not have anything at all, but they're just still so happy and willing to help you and passionate about things when I went to Malaysia I was like wow these people are so lovely like I'll be the lost one and come up to them and be like oh can you help me and they're more than happy to drop what they're doing whereas I think sometimes in the hustle and bustle like this is probably more city Sydney life but it's quite easy to just be a bit blasé and focused on yourself whereas when you travel overseas you have more of a broader perspective of understanding you know other people's circumstances or greater tolerance and things like that um you know, I'm going to these countries and I don't speak a bar of their language, yet they're more than happy to come and help me. And I, I think I've taken that on board. Coming here, you know, if you see someone struggling, why not go and help them, give them that two cents? Because it takes 20 seconds out of your day, but it can really make their day. So. And in your life day to day, Sam, how do you go about staying grounded? As you say, when you go to overseas countries and you see people who are doing it tough, but living, such a, living with such empathy and compassion... Are there things you do in your day-to-day life back home to help keep yourself grounded? I think I really enjoy my work at the moment. So I'm doing teacher's aid work and it's with primary school kids and um, that alone it makes me feel quite rewarding in what I'm doing because I'm, 
are making a difference to younger kids' lives. Um, you know, it's not on the same line as I'm going out and helping the poor or something like that, but it's, I can really feel a difference or an impact that I'm having on these kids. Yeah, I think teachers are a little bit underrated or even personally growing up, you just think, oh yeah, it's a teacher, whatever, but they actually have such a big influence on the youth coming through. Um, and yeah, I like to think that at the moment in my, you know, current state of life, that's where I am helping out the community or helping out you know, putting out my two cents into everyone else um, and just, you know, spending time with some kids and trying to teach them, you know, the positive way to go or, you know, how to be, like, polite and, you know, some really good people. But, yeah, I find that really rewarding and that's um, currently at my state how I'm putting back. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Is there a specific message that you want to pass on to the students you work with each day or a specific life lesson, I guess? I think just kind of have a go. Like I said, I've been lucky in the sense of I've had all these opportunities because I've just done it. You know, I did the indoor cricket. I started playing horse tag. I said yes to an opportunity that took me somewhere else. And um, I think that's what you've kind of got to tell kids. Yeah, so it's just, you know, have a go and nothing's never impossible. You know, the only time when it is impossible is when you don't give it a go. So why not give it a try? Never know what comes of it. Um, and if it doesn't work, that's still a lesson in itself. So I think that's kind of what, if I can pass on to the little ones I'm working with at the moment, it's why not just give it a shot, you know? If you don't, then you learn from that at least. Whereas if you sit back and you just wonder and, you know, there's so many ifs and buts, why not give it a go and know what can, hap- what can happen after that? And your time studying at University of Technology, as you said, doing the Bachelor of Sports Management, what do you think you've taken out of that study, either from a practical perspective or even from a personal perspective? Yeah, so I'm still going with that one. Um, it's a never-ending degree for me, but like I said, I've travelled in between, so it's okay. I think from that, it's definitely more of a, a business focus. So I understand you know, the um, realm behind the business of things, but what I've picked up from my travels and from my experiences is maybe something that I want to connect the two of them. So potential and ultimate goal may be to use, you know, my knowledge now of business and things, but then my sporting background to help out kids or people who don't have the opportunity to do things. So um, we talk about sport for development and a lot of the um, sporting units. And I think that's where I want to take, you know, my line of work eventually, you know, using my experience of going around all the different countries and, you know, seeing um, different levels of either ability or even health or opportunity and trying to merge it together so yeah with the degree what I'm hoping to do is um, potentially start up something where kids who um, either have you know behavior issues or just hard times at home or um, disabilities can get involved in sport so I'm going to try and use sport as my platform and the degrees really taught me and appreciate how important sport is and how broad it is and the impact it can actually have so it's not just you chuck on the tally and you see you know the footy team play it's um, what they're doing behind the scenes and the little impact of, you know, the little kids sitting on the, on the chair right next to the TV and watching their idol and going back and reflecting, you know, on things like that. So, 
it's been a juggling act for you, Sam, when you throw in study, sport, work, travel. Mm-hmm. How do you go about managing your time day to day, week to week? So a lot of my friends would know that time management, I do always get it done, but say if it came to an assignment, um, I'm a bit of a last minute girl. So I do always get it done and, and I'm happy with my result at the end. But um, I feel like I almost need to be busy because I've been brought up in that sense. So I was saying to you earlier, when I was about 14, 14, 15, I would be going minimum eight sessions of training in a week. So that would be obviously a training each day. But then like on a Saturday, I went from like Aussie, Oztag, and then, you know, train that for three hours, hop in the car, go down to indoor cricket, and then train for that. So yeah, it kept me really busy. But I think in that sense, because I'm getting the exercise, I'm staying busy, then when it is time to do my work, I know I've, I've just got to knuckle down and do it. Yeah, I almost feel a little bit lost when I don't have a lot going on because it's like, what do you do with your free time? So in the sense, though, I do think I, I do like wind down and things like that, but I do appreciate actually having things to get done and ticking them off. And um, yeah, training in between that, that is like you're breaking your release, you know, you get the endorphins kick after and things like that. Um, but yeah, growing up, that was something that was really prominent, like I said, all the way through. Um, up until year 12, I pulled back a bit on a couple of my sports because I was doing a few different sports. Staying busy and having goals to tick off, I think, has you know brought me to where I am in the sense of I've got a real drive to accomplish something or um, get it done and make sure it is at a good standard or I'm training hard, I'm training with a purpose. That mindset, the really open mind to, to take on a challenge, to say yes to things, would you change that approach if you if you had your time again? Do you think you'd just stick with one thing and go for it, or, or have you always wanted to try different things and and really challenge yourself? I've really enjoyed like every sport I've played. It came to a point where Dad was saying, "Look, you do you want to be a, a jack of all trades and a master of none, or do you want to focus on something and actually take it through?" And um, the issue was that I I actually enjoyed every sport that I did play so you know soccer that was only at the club level like I I love soccer and it's been two years now without it and it's it still feels weird like you drive past and you miss it um Oztag was always really fun you know and you miss it as well but yeah focusing more on cricket now because there is more of an avenue and um opportunity to you know look at like the breakers girls now not only are they full-time athletes but they have the ability to just focus on their cricket whereas you go back a few years and people are going straight from their work down to a session, having to get make a deadline for a report or something that's due for work the next day, yet they're still representing their country or their state. So, um, yeah, I think just channeling, you know, what things that you want to do or giving yourself goals or a task, um, you know, can really help you obviously to meet that goal in the end. But if you don't start with that objective, it can be quite difficult. We touched on before you were a leader at the Penrith Cricket Club, and this summer you're also part of the Sydney Thunder squad that went on to claim the WBBL 06 title. What was that experience like for you? That was insane. Like, that was once in a lifetime opportunity. So, I got a bit of a late call out because unfortunately, uh, Liv Porter had a quite a severe injury early on in their Thunder training sessions. Um, so, I'm upstairs on my phone, you know, just charging it, doing whatever, and then it came out Trevor Griffin, you know, is calling you. And I was like, it's a bit bizarre. Okay, you know, anyway, pick it up. Um, and he was like, hi, Sam, like, how are you going? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, you know, school holidays, start back at school tomorrow. He's like, oh, how would you feel about um, me offering you a contract? And I was like, 
what? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, it came out of nowhere. Um, but, yeah, it was such an unreal experience, obviously, with the, the hub situation. Like I said, it's once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I went there and, like, I learned a lot of things. You're working with, or you've got Rachel Haynes sitting next to you and then Heather Knight on the other side, like insane amount of knowledge and you know even just getting back into the professional and really high intense um you know training rides like training load sorry i've missed that type of thing in the sense of with you know australian Oz tag you'll be doing you know your malcolms or your, your beat tests things like that whereas when you just go back to your grade cricket although you are doing your fitness it's hard to incorporate that type of thing so yeah i, I adored it it was it was really cool it was definitely a unique experience it did have its challenges um, but we came away with a win and I even just remember going home once we were allowed to go home to mum and dad and being like, did that just happen? Like, was I a part of that? Like, did we just win? And I was, you know, kind of on the sideline there. So absolutely insane experience, one I'm really grateful for. You talked about sitting alongside Rachel Haynes, Heather Knight. The squad was a real mix of youth and experience, ages 16 to mid-30s. What did you take out of that experience? What, from a cricket perspective, what do you think you, you really learnt from being around such a diverse group? Well, in our, um, our scouting meetings, so that would be, you know, prep before a game, even just um, talking about, and even, like with grade, you do go and you assess the pitch and things like that, but when it came to boundary lengths and wind and, um, you know, length of grass or, you know, at this time of day, it's normally slower, things like that, it's... It's just more of an intricate de- detail in the sense of um, game tactics and things like that, which I thought was really interesting. Even just hearing, you know, Shab's, um, Shab and Ismail, you know, talk about her field set or Sammy Joe saying, oh, I'm going to be doing this to this batter and then hoping to get her out there. It's just, you know, little insights that you pick up that generally if you're just playing cricket, you know, for the fun of it or at your club or your grade level, you're not going to necessarily delve into it as much. Like, this is their occupation. They've obviously done a lot of research and training with it. Um, But being just in those rooms and hearing those little pieces, yeah, really, really knowledgeable stuff from people who have a lot of experience. We've spoken with Josh Layla on the podcast, and Josh has really paved his career in the T20 format. And he referenced the love that every ball is its own scenario, its own battle, being around that T20 setup, do you really immerse yourself into that tactical side of the game? Yeah, well, definitely. And that's the thing with cricket. It's um, whether it's T20, 50 or a test match, it is still, you know, a one ball game in the sense of that one ball can change the game. So you've got to be up and about. But with the T20 and with my Thunder experience, even the mini overs, um, sorry, the mini maiden overs that they focus on and the KPIs. So, you know, there's a goal to get as many three dots in a row that would like meta KPI, like things like that, um, that even if you take that back to, you know, the grade level, it does all add up. You know, if you get six, three mini maidens, like, do you know what I mean? That's a lot of dot balls that they're chewing up, which means obviously less runs, things like that. So, um, yeah, T20 is obviously a really interesting and fun format of the game, but just being able to hear different insights and how to tackle, you know, an opposition or how to use the game in your favour when sometimes it may not be if you're bowling and things like that. You referenced Trevor Griffin, Englishman, who's got a, a world of experience and in his few years at Sydney Thunder has been incredibly successful. What did you learn from being alongside Trevor? Yeah, Trevor's got a really optimistic and, you know, bubbly personality about him. So um, I really appreciate that because in the hub, it was, you know, a long period where you 
were either just cricket focus or even not being able to go take that break and you know go see your puppy or at the back end we were allowed to but um, you couldn't just walk away and go catch up with a friend that you wanted to so yeah just having his you know light and bubbly um, you know ethos around really like made a difference but um, a lot of cricket knowledge too so although a few of the girls who were in the same position as me we weren't really likely to play a game because they were our team was really healthy and fit which was awesome um, we still had those sessions at the end where Trevor, you know, would make it competitive and be like, okay, you're chasing seven, now let's go. You know, really challenges and him dart into your legs or tell you how to bowl a specific ball at the top end. Um, yeah, wealth of knowledge, and that's for the whole Thunder coaching staff. We spoke about the rise of women's cricket and, and girls' cricket at, at a grassroots level. Do you see yourself as being a trailblazing group and, and being part of a, a special period in the growth of the game? Definitely, yeah. So I think um, it's probably girls maybe a year or two older than me. Growing up, I've seen and really appreciated the development of the girls' game. So um, when I was in the underage things, which is, it was called Emerging Breakers back then, now it's the academy things. It's, yeah, now I think the younger girls, I don't think they necessarily understand or appreciate how lucky they are to have the solid training units and then a tournament that follows after and then a possible you know Aussie A team that can go to the next tournament things like that um, a few years ago you know like I said girls were representing their country or their state but then going into their nine-to-five job at the same time whereas yeah the generation coming through now all they see is their idol you know Elise Perry, Alyssa Healy on TV and going that can be me one day whereas when I was younger growing up I think they only had the women's Australian team on ABC. And then you'd be lucky to even, you know, flick that on here and there when you've got everyone else in the house watching um, different shows. So, yeah, I've, I'm glad that I'm, you know, in the bracket I am in the sense of I've seen, you know, a bit of both sides. Like, obviously, if you went for, like, even a few more years, I'm sure it would have even been um, much harder, and that's why you really appreciate and admire the people who did represent their country and state because they had such a hard balance between being professional yet not almost getting recognised for that. Whereas now I've seen like the real growth and development and even having friends that I'm playing with, you know, Naomi Salenberg, things like that, and watching them and really seeing them succeed, it's been, yeah, really good to see. I'm glad I'm in a position I am where I can appreciate both sides and understand how far Girls Green has come. And a few summers ago you had the opportunity to go to Malaysia to play cricket. How did that come to fruition? Yes, that was an amazing experience. So it was uh, the Women's Malaysian Big Dash League and Elsa Hunter, who's a local player at Penrith. She is of Malaysian um, background and she actually played for Malaysia when she was 14. And um, through discussion with her dad, Jim, and the Malaysian Cricket Board, they decided that eventually they want to set up a, you know, a mini Big Bash tournament, essentially. And I was lucky enough to get a call up and ask if I want to get involved and I was more than happy to. And... Um, I was allowed to, you know, extend that offer to a few people. So I asked Marnie Ryan, who's a um, she plays for Penrith Cricket. She's a country girl. She's from Cowra, and then also um, Adelaide Campion, who's a girl I've met through indoor cricket, and she's from Melbourne. So we went over with Elsa and um, a couple of other girls, and we got to play in this insane tournament where we had, you know, four teams, but a mix of five countries in that. Like I said, just learning from different cultures and the way they approach cricket or even them asking new questions, like it was really rewarding, but also just a 
awesome experience. Like great fun, beautiful country, beautiful people, and good cricket. So you couldn't complain. Sam, you said to me before our chat that sport can be an escape. It can be a place to create friendships. You can develop yourself in order to help a greater good. How do you go about balancing the love for the game, but then also striving for on-field performance and on-field success? Yeah, it is, it is a tricky balance. So um, specifically with cricket, though, it is really a mind game. Um, and I think it's, you know, if you ever do get to a point in your career or in your sport where you go, you're frustrated with either how you're performing or um, maybe the team's performing or something like that, you've just kind of got to, you know, bring it right back and say, am I enjoying this? Do I love the game? And I think that really, you know, will tell you decision. If you, if you go, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, you know, that's, that's cricket or that's sport sometimes. But if you, you're sitting back and you, it feels more like a chore, what I would say is a bit of advice to young people growing up is give it another season and then see where you sit. It can be, like, tedious sometimes in sport, like I said, if you're not performing or if you you give up a lot of um, not opportunities, but you can miss out on a lot of things growing up in the sense of because you are so dedicated to the training or to the tournament, you miss out on maybe a party or something like that. But in the long run, personally, in my own experience, it's all been worthwhile. Like I said, it's developed me to the person I am today. So, yeah, it's, it can be tricky and challenging, but... If you give yourself, you know, that real chat, and sometimes you do have to have it, you know, I've had it a few times over my sporting time, am I enjoying this? Do I like it? And fortunately for me, I have been enjoying it. And although at that current point in time, it may not be seen like fun, I still love the game, and that's why I want to keep going and keep striving. So um, I think it comes back to the passion. But at the same time, sometimes in sport, that's just how it rolls, you know? that You might get a peach of a ball or... Um, they might score an awesome goal and you just go, too good. But that's also when you reflect back and you go, this is why I love the game. Although I'm on the back end of the winning, I understand how it is to be on the other side and that's why you really appreciate it as a whole. And cricket as a sport can be quite fickle. You know, you're, you're, you're so exposed with your scores and your figures. How have you gone about separating your self-worth and identity from your on-field performance? Because... You do hear a lot of sports people, a lot of creative people say that their identity is tied to what they do. Have you found that it's been easy to separate the two or have you, has your identity been tied to how you've performed on the cricket field? It's a bit tricky, that one, because I think you do, you can be like judged on your performance or um, your talent when it comes to you know a certain level and things, but... Um, even myself personally, not having the great season with the bat, and it is really struggling, even mentally, because you're putting in so many hours of work and you get out there and it's just not working. But that's when, like I said, I've got to bring it back and I have to bring it back and say, I still love this game and I know that I've got it in me. It's just not coming at the moment. So, um, you know, it's it's about that pers- perseverance and I just go, it's going to happen, you know. It, it is, it's going to happen. Yeah, I think you do, you need a... Put yourself away and still be your own person. Um, sport, although it is such a big, important thing in my life, I am still Sam Arnold. And sport has made me who I am and it's, you know, a massive factor. But I am still, you know, a person who wants to do good and, um, you know, make a difference, whether it is through sport or whether it's some type of other work. You still have to be your own person. If if something won't happen and there were no sport in the world, who are you? So... Um, yeah, sport has 
develop me into the person I am, but I am still my own person. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Cricket as a career, what are your ambitions? Where do you want to take it? I want to take it as far as I can. Like I said, at the moment, it's not going too well with the bat. I've, yeah, always been one to strive and I've played, you know, a lot of the Australian stuff when I was younger. My ultimate goal is to play a representative Australian sport in an open um, age group. So, um, yeah, nothing's stopping me at the moment, so I don't see why not. You know, keep going, and I'm not being naive in the sense of it's, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's a long way down the track or, you know, a few seasons to go. But the thing is, for myself personally, whenever I do something, I do want to do it to the best or develop myself so I can be one of the best. And whether that's, you know, academic-wise, sport-wise, anything like that, um, I don't really see the point in me doing something just to do it. I'd like to actually achieve something and gain something from it. I could be horrible, like I said, dancing. I'm not a good dancer. But I still want to do the best that I can. Um, but, yeah, cricket-wise, like I said, I'm not naive in the sense of I know I've got a long way to go. But ultimate goal is to represent Australia in an open format, which would be, yeah, the Australian cricket team. Sam, the past 12 months have thrown some challenges at you. Generally speaking, how do you go about handling adversity in those tough times? Yeah, so um, there's lots of different challenges that you know life can throw at you. And growing up, I've you know understood the circumstances of other people, and um, I think that's really made it so important to me in how you you know you treat others, how you want to be treated. It, it does sound so basic, and you get told when you're younger, but it's so true. What goes around comes around. Um, you know, you do whatever you can in your day to try and put a smile on someone else. And, and that's the thing. It's, um, you know, lots of challenges go around, whether it's, you know, financial or health or relationships, anything like that. Lots of people are going through things that you have no idea about and sometimes nor should you have an idea about because it is personal to them. Just trying your best to do the best that you can and trying to help someone, someone else out. So, um, you know, in your general manner, smiling at someone as you walk past, you never know, that could actually be the difference in their day, it being, you know, a really crap one, or being one, oh, you know, it's actually right, this lovely girl, you know, gave me a smile on the way, it's um, just simple things like that. And that perspective, has there been a particular person that you've watched over your life that's really taught you that? Uh, my older sister, yeah, she's an amazing person, my sister Maddie, and she just has this insane ability to just be so lovely. And I think, you know, with my sporting background or even competitiveness, with little things I could either be, um, this is more just in the household, but, you know, bitter at something or things like that, whereas my sister just has an ability just to, I don't know, just be calm and, you know, let it go or just go and help someone. So, um, yeah, I think my sister Maddie is, like, a big role model for me and just the way she goes about life and helping other people is, um, yeah, quite remarkable. It's been a truly incredible story and journey for you to this point. Do you take the time to look back and reflect 
on the, the journey that you've had to this point? Yeah, so when it comes to like discussions like this, and even growing up now, I think I really, when I was growing up, I underestimated the influence and sacrifice mum and dad made to let me play all these sports. Um, not only is it financial, but it's a time of just travelling and, you know, all the weekends are built up with sport or dropping me off and picking up this person and going to that place. So, um, yeah, growing up, I've really appreciated, you know, the effort mum and dad has made and it's even those little talks that I have with dad, you know, after I do get out and score nothing or after a game that was close and we probably should have taken it's Although he never played cricket, I just feel like dad really has a great mindset over sport and like I said he was he's quite involved or was involved with footy and has a lot of experience in that sense and and even teaching kids and things and it's his mindset that can also bring you down to even think okay look it is just sport kind of we get over it's next week or to go no you know get stuck into that you know you know that you're you can achieve better than that but you're the only person that can make that difference and when it comes to the Australian indoor cricket setup actually Crossy who I mentioned earlier before tournament, she would have us fill out a bit of a, a bio sheet. So it would you know, be a couple of things, but she'd always make us put on three quotes. And then when she would do um, you know, the flag presentation and jerseys and things like that, we'd have those quotes around the room. And one that has always stuck with me, and I always you know, retype it and put it down, is that no one is you and that is your power. And that's the thing, that nobody else can have the effect that you can have. And whether that's in sport or everyday life, there's not one other person in the entire world who can do what you can do. So, you know, you've just got to make the most of it. Do whatever you can. Put 100% into that. And whether it's sport, education, um, friendships, anything, do you know what I mean? It's, that's all that you can ask for, to put 100% into But that's the thing. No one is you and that is your power. Has that always been your mindset or has that grown more recently, do you think? I think it's, it's definitely grown. So when we first started those sheets when I was, I was 14 and I, I panicked a bit. I was like, I don't have three quotes that I know. So I've typed it in Google and I'm searching around. And, um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's, that one has actually really stuck with me. Not only is it short and easy to remember, but um, it's one that I've actually carried through because it's the truth. No one is you and that's the power that you have. So even when it comes to, you know, chats on the cricket field with the girls, I'm like, be the difference. You're the only one who can do it in yourself, so be the difference. Take that catch, take that wicket. Um, but yeah, it's something that I've actually taken on quite strongly. And even when it comes to you know work and outside of sport, realizing that you do have a power in yourself in whatever you bring to any scheme of life. You just have to be confident in it, or believe in yourself, or want to actually make a difference when you do it. Along those same lines, Sam, do you believe in life that as people we find ourselves? or that we create ourselves, like, is the path laid out from point A to point B and we just live it, or that every decision you make shapes where you end up? I think the second one, for sure. Yeah, you create yourself. So, um, like I said, I've been lucky to go on a lot of opportunities just for me saying yes. Even when it came to representative things, so when it came to my first indoor cricket Australian representation, I actually made, oh, I was named in the side for the futsal Australian team, which would have taken me to California. So I had an option to do the California trip or to go to the nationals for indoor cricket. And I was like, oh, what to do? Anyway, we went with the indoor cricket and from that we made the Australian team and from that I went to Dubai and won the World Cup. So, you know, if I did the soccer, that could have meant that I took soccer 
as more serious approach. You know, I could have tried to develop myself through there, but um, yeah, I, I do believe that from the opportunities and whether you take them or whether you decide to pass that one off and do something else, it creates you because it's your uh, it's the experiences that you live in. You know, put you where you are or how you approach things or how you see things. And Sam, what do the next six months or so have in store for you? Uh, so we've got a bit of uni, final year of uni, which I'm cheering about. Um, I'm currently working uh, as a teacher's aide, so I'm working with a lot of younger kids, um, which, like I said, I'm, I'm finding really rewarding and um, I really appreciate that work. So for now, we've only got a few more grade games left. Hopefully I can score a number in that. If not, then it will be you know back to the drawing board and... Um, a lot of training, but I would love to see the indoor cricket nationals come up, but that's also dependent on COVID and things like that. So for now, it's, you know, focusing on the back end of the season, um, like I said, hopefully getting a score up, you know, doing my work and, and uni, and then, yeah, seeing what follows from there. Sam, thank you for such an inspiring journey and an inspiring story. Wishing you all the best. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jono. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender. For more unique and inspiring stories from Penrith and the Blue Mountains, be sure to listen to other episodes of the Passion and Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts.